ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast. For each week, we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Above the Bar podcast. We have went and bellied up to the bar again. It's a uh, so hopefully everyone has completely recovered from this. Uh, no one is still trying to figure out where they have parked their car or left their their cover. Uh, Marines, I know how it works. Plenty of those under my belt. But we have brought with us, let's see, all the things that we can say about our guests. She's been on just about every tv station under the sun she's broadcasted for every sport we can think of there's one over in ireland i I always like that i i always forget the name of it so we'll have to see if she ever did that one she's done that she's written um something like 700 or 800 or a thousand different books i don't know she'll tell us but she's done a little bit and i learned something today that you know and she's hanging out. She's been hanging out in the desert for thirty years. So, joining us live from uh, not the Mojave, but close enough. All the deserts seem to be the same to me. We have joining us Miss Anne Montgomery. Well, hi, Sean. Thanks for inviting me to belly up to the bar with you. Hey, One of my favorite places to be. Used to be a bartender. We're, see, I told. Look, folks, I'm going through Anne's bio beforehand, and I'm trying to think like, well, what hasn't this lady done? So you've been a bartender. Yes. Scuba, scuba diver. I am that uh, still. <laughs> you you told me you collect rocks. So we yes. determined you were a stoner. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple ESPN, uh, Rochester TV. How many different TV stations? Five. All right. So five different TV stations. Teacher. So we got a lot to talk to Ann about. We got a lot to get into with her. So. Let's go ahead and get some house cleaning done. Get all that out of the way so we can talk about what Ann's got going on. As always, folks, and look, if I hear any crap about my Ravens this past week, I do not blame them. I, I don't blame Lamarvelous. He is still pretty amazing quarterback. I do. And anybody's like, oh, he threw a big pick. Guess what? It, you're going to throw a pick when the ball gets deflected at the line and a guy blows it straight up in the air. That happens. You know what I mean? What's the old saying? And if you if you leave it to the refs, you're always going to lose or something like that. Ah, uh, now now let's not be dissing refs. I was an official for forty See, years. That. We're never but ending. But also, don't feel sorry for yourself about being a Ravens fan. I've been a Cardinals fan since 1988. Oh, just shoot me. Just oh, shoot, right. put me out of my misery. I, well, look, just like everybody else, that, uh, goes to Arizona to re- retire. That's where all the NFL greats used to go. Do you remember, like, like all ended up there? Emmett Smith ended up there. Terrell Suggs ended up there. Joe. Now, Montana. why do you think that's the case? Well, because it's like it's good living. It probably you guys have good like taxes or something. Now we have really good food, but we also have warmth. And if you if you yeah. look at NFL players on Monday morning, they can hardly walk because mm-hmm. there's nothing glamorous about being an NFL player. It's very unattractive the next day when you got 25 year olds who can barely walk to their cars. Yeah. So the heat helps. It's not good in New York to be a former NFL player. Yeah, you no, out here in the heat. You know, it, it doesn't work for you. So as we always do, though, folks, we got the big board over my right shoulder for sticker and a cause. Say you've got something you believe in. You've written some books. You've got a podcast. 
you got a band. I don't care what it is. Reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, the former Twitter, now X, Twitch, anywhere you can find us, Instagram, TikTok, even our emails, all the above the bar podcast. Reach out. Let me know what you got going on. I'll tell you where to send the sticker. And we'll read all about what you got going on right here live on the air at no cost to you. I don't know what's going on with all of my screens now, but let's see if this one works. So now when I put a thumbs up near my screens, folks, if you're watching the live, it does this. Let's see if this one works because this was working. I was doing a Zoom call and all of a sudden balloons started fluttering up. See, I got nothing. See, you got nothing. I go like this and I get thumbs up pop up on the screen. (laughs) I had one the other day, though, and I promise you I was like. We were talking about something. I went like, there it is. Oh, balloons. Are you having a party? I, I don't know why it does that. <laughs> yeah, this is the craziest thing. It just, I go, and it goes, balloons? See that? That's your, it's not doing it for me. I don't know. I got some setting I in here. I feel bad now. You should. But, <laughs> and as always though, folks, but if you wanted to see balloons out your window, you better make sure you got good window treatments. That way you can, you can stay, see if you're where Ann's at, you need good window treatments to keep the 120 degree heat outside. If you're where where I'm at here in Albany, you need good window treatments to keep the heat in. That's why we have budget blinds of East Greenbush and budget blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York as our sponsors. This month, they are running their pre-Black Friday sale. It's called Triple 50. That's 50% off of one window, 50% off of installation, and 50% off of shipping. That's Folks, you can't get better than that. So you reach out to them. You let them know that you're there to belly up to the bar. They're going to hook you up. It's going to be 50% off of shipping, 50% off of installation, and 50% off of one window. And if you've never looked at custom, and you ever look at custom window treatments before? Um, Not lately. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, folks, custom window treatments, they're custom. This is going to be fit for your home, nobody else's home, nobody else's property. It's not like you're going to go. It's This isn't Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, where you just kind of, Grab it off the shelf, and my, one of my cats found something. Grab it off the shelf and and just stick it in your window. This is custom fit for your home. They want to know the details. They want to get to know you. So make sure you're reaching out to Budget Blinds of East Greenbush or Budget Blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York. Let them know you're there to belly up to the bar, and they'll take good care of you. And we're all done. All the all the house cleaning's over. How are you today? Um, I'm pretty good. I'm just back from vacation. I've been gone five weeks, so I'm trying to. Adjust. Where, where, where was vacation, if we can ask? Um, I went to my 50th high school reunion. Okay. I, I don't believe you, but go ahead. New Jersey. I went to New Jersey and had a blast. Went into Manhattan. Then I flew to Washington, D.C. and visited a relative I'd been estranged from for 35 years. And then I flew to St. Croix, where I have a home. Um, where I get to look at the ocean all the time. So, nice. yeah, I love my desert, but I think I'd rather look at the Caribbean right now. I don't, I don't blame you. And Cody just popped up. Cody, what, send me the name of the new joy thing you're doing where you're trying to get two elephants to make out. She can explain it better than I can. I don't, (laughs) she can explain it. She's probably laughing at me and calling me an ass right now, but, uh, and Cody cats do love blinds, but ours are the ones from budget blinds of East Greenbush and Hudson and Cooksaki are cordless. They've gotten rid of the cords. Nobody uses cords anymore. That's the new thing because, uh, child safety and pet safety. But so you're back. But I, I mean, we were joking a little bit about your, your career. And and I mean, when I put when I call this what's your life journey, let's be realistic. I mean, you have had a journey. We were talking before the show. I mean, 
seriously, you've written, is it eight books or nine books? Oh, okay. I've written nine, but five are published and I have one coming out in June. Okay. So that will be six. So, so you'll have six, you've written nine books. You'll have six books published. Yes. Five different regular TV stations. How many cable stations? None. Oh, I, I, I guess ESPN, ESPN you, was considered cable, but you know, now it's ESPN. Yes. Um, I anchored sports center. God, it I wasn't mean, any fun, but my other stations were fun. ESPN was no fun. Really? You didn't want to, you didn't like it down there. I have a guy that I, I, I met when I was, when I first retired from the Marine Corps, he's uh, down there in Connecticut. The problem was, is that I was very fortunate in most of the stations I worked for because they they hired me because they believed I know knew what I was talking about. And how did I know what I was talking about? Because I, I came up before Title IX, so I didn't play a lot of sports. I was actually an ice skater. Sadly, I was an ice dancer, and I sucked. I mean, trust me, I'm way too big. Those little ice dancers are like five feet tall, and they weigh 80 pounds. So I was too big, and I, I, today I would play hockey. Okay, I grew up in a rink. They didn't allow girls to play hockey back then. And uh, but that's what I would have been good at. I'm also a, a damn good swimmer. I will say that. But I didn't go out for the teams in school. And and so I, I really had very little experience in the five main team spectator sports, which would be football, baseball, ice hockey, soccer and basketball. So I announced to everybody in high school and in college that I was going to be a sportscaster. But there weren't women sportscasters in the 70s. There just weren't. Uh, you know, there might have been a few around the country, but not very many. So um, I sort of had an epiphany one night. I went to a uh, Washington Capitals game with my aunt and the man that was with us uh, was an amateur ice hockey official. And he was bemoaning the fact that there were not enough officials, just like today, there aren't enough officials. So um, my aunt goes, well, Annie can skate. And I said, yes. And he said, why don't you be a referee? And I said, of course I will. What I didn't realize at the time was that hockey skates and ice skates were so radically different. And so I went through the course, I, I read the book, I took the test, I had a little induction, you know, introduction. And my first game was like six-year-old hockey players. Now you've probably seen them. They're the kids with the sawed off sticks and the little helmets tilting rakishly and their jerseys down to their ankles. And I got there and I'd work, I told you I was a bartender. I worked in a restaurant in Georgetown in Washington, DC. And uh, I was up to like, I don't know, three in the morning. And then I had to crawl to this ice rink and I get there and I've never had these hockey skates on before and I put them on and they felt really loose uh, like figure skates are very tight I don't know if you've ever figure skated but they're no, very not often yeah what they do is you get your ice skates and, and they're really a, a size smaller than your foot and you have to walk around in them without blades on them and all wet so your feet will stretch them it's miserable but hockey skates are really loose didn't know that, went out on the ice, take my first face off, fell right on my face. Oh. And then I couldn't get up because what's the difference between hockey skates and figure skates? Toe pick? Yes, very good. Toe you pick. You scrum, right? Toe pick. And for a lazy, bad skaters like me, I, they're, they're supposed to be for executing jumps, right? And, but for me, I'm lazy. I, get, I'm on, I fall down, I stick my toe pick in and hop right up. There's no toe picks on hockey skates. So I dug my skate tiptoe into the ice and I fell down again. I fell three times in front of six-year-old hockey players. Um, <laughs> I can still see them looking down at me like, what's the matter with <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Now, I have no memory of the rest of that game. But what I do remember is the ride home. 
because I realized that no one was going to hire me to be a sportscaster because I didn't have any credentials in the sports right. world. So if I could become a certified official in football, baseball, ice hockey, soccer, and basketball at the amateur level, wow, um, that meant classes and reading rule books and scrimmages and doing games, that somewhere a news director who was forward thinking might hire me. And that's exactly what happened. So I officiated for five years. The restaurant I worked in scheduled my shifts all around my games. And uh, it took me till I was 28 because nobody believed women could be sportscasters. I'm amazed when I see people on TV now that all these women sportscasters, I mean, there right. weren't any. And so I finally did get hired. And that's how I got my first job, which is it was in Columbus, Georgia, which what? was quite a change from Washington, D.C. Well, oh, yeah. Anything. I mean, I'm like, ah, where have I gone? But that was my first station. I'll always be grateful to them for hiring me. Well, and, and folks, as you're listening to Anne's, Anne's story, she's also a writer. And we're going to get in, into the books here in a minute. And, and Cody said, uh, Cody, Cody said that, ha, great story. Way to go, Anne, seizing the opportunity. Uh, also, uh, my buddy, another Marine, Corey Favors, popped up. Corey, do me a favor. Drop the link for uh, Tamara in, in on this show. His wife, Tamara. She's having some medical issues, been in the hospital for 31 days uh, down in Texas. Please drop that link in there so folks can see it, brother. Uh, Cody says, thought about be becoming become things slash doing what you can with what you have to move you in the direction of your dream. Really awesome. Congrats. Great share for people. And, and I mean, that is absolutely amazing. And that goes back to, you know, that life journey piece for you and how you got into the broadcasting by just figuring, well, if I want to do this, I got to have some credentials for right. it. Right. And but the, the irony is I remained an official uh, till 2019. I officiated for 40 years. Wow. Uh, mostly in football and baseball. I was say, what, what was your sport, what sport football of choice? Football and even baseball. And even today though, I mean, a, a female official in football, you know, NFL has, has the one. No, no, they have three. Oh, now, is it three now? Yeah, I remember, but I remember you don't see long. them. They don't promote them. And that's okay. Officials shouldn't be, you know, people you look at. But I have a, a test question for you. Yes. How many referees are on a football field? Like physically on the field? Yeah. How many How many referees work uh, at all? You have the back judge, line judge, umpire. Is it five? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's the same number whether you're doing Pop Warner or the NFL. Well, well, the others are judges then, so it's then it's one. Mm, one. The white it's hat, one. the crew chief. So one of the things I am most proud of in my career is that for 24 years, I was the referee and crew chief. So um, here in Arizona, I, I was the white hat. And uh, I, you know what? I missed Friday night football, Friday night high school football, more than TV, more than teaching more than anything. It's and when I, I told you, I just went to my 50th high school reunion and we went to the football game Friday night and they let me do the coin toss. I was so thrilled. I went, I know how to do this guys. I do. I did it for 24 years. I'm a pro. I know how to do this. <laughs> yes. I can flip the coin and give the speech. That's a good trivia question though, because I had to think about that. Oh, I win beer on else, all the time. Because everybody else is a judge. They're back judges. They're line judges. Fire. Yeah. Right. They're, 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 there's they're only officials. One they're the officials. Uh, one my, referee. Holding 76 offense, right? So my second, that was me. well, my second favorite person from California, my first 
would happen to be my cousin, nothing person. Kristen says, mm -hmm. you are so inspirational. I love your job growth success. You should write a book. She's written nine of them. I don't know if any of them are about her life, though. We'll find that out here soon. Mm. Or have a movie based on your story. I will tell you, Ann, I mean, hearing your story, as I kind of did a little bit of my research, and anyone will tell you I'm not good at research at all, uh, you really do have kind of one of those stories of – now, you did you did you grow up in the D.C. area? No, no, I'm from New Jersey. That's right. You said you, you said that you're yeah. from New Jersey. From New Jersey, but I've lived. In, you know, here's the thing about journalism: I've lived in eight states at this point, and and it wasn't until I was pushing forty and was no longer pretty enough to be in front of a TV camera that I finally settled on coming back to Phoenix because nobody would hire me anymore. Now that's an interesting thing because first off, when you told me you'd you'd been involved for fifty years, I didn't believe you. Uh, you don't, no, I, I graduated from high school. 50. I'm saying like high school, 50 years. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't buying into that, but I'm 68. Um, I'm proud to be, you're, you are, you are, I mean, you're making it happen. Uh, thank you. But, but what I'm, my thoughts for that is they even just recently have a, there's a TV series about, um, what is it on Apple TV or something like that, where it's the two female, um, look, here's my balloons again. I don't know where this <laughs> happening Wish I could uh, do that. but it's the two um the two women it's where they're they're newscasters and all of a sudden they bring oh in, oh yes i uh, that, uh, one morning news or, yeah i don't morning know news or something like that and they're like why are you trying to push us out are we not pretty enough anymore and that's exactly what happens that's, so that's exactly what happens so that's a real i mean call it what it is I oh mean, i was devastated i went this is all i wanted i don't they tell you that though like uh, because there's a lot of young girls out there that feel like, oh, I can do it. Because right, right now we have a woman here in the capital region. Uh, I can't think of her name right now. Um, I think she might have broadcast at Jesus's birth. She might have been at the manger when he was yeah. born. But but how do they have that conversation with you if you have? Oh, they don't. So, they so don't it's never a conversation. No, if they do say it to you, then you sue and they can never fire you. So there are some women who they've been silly enough to say that to. Okay, but I work for five TV stations. And then suddenly I'm about 40 and my agent can't get me a gig anywhere in the country. Wow. And that's just, and, and the idea is the sports audience is 18 to 34 year old males. So okay. they figure once you're 35, no one's looking at you anymore. And I thought, why, why is that all that matters? Why is There's it an entire website that's built their life on uh, looking at women over that age? I'm not going to say which one. <laughs> but the hard part for me is that I always, I always were like, didn't you hire me because I knew what I was talking about? And apparently not, because I'll give you a perfect example. I told you I didn't really like ESPN. Here's the kind of crap they did. Um, I'm live on the air one night and, and, if you're lucky, you get to see your highlights before you go on, but sometimes games end late and you don't get to see them. And some production assistant and production assistants are like just out of college, desperately want to get to, to broadcasting, will do anything. And their job is to sit and watch a game, pick three highlights or four highlights, write up a script and hand it to the anchor. Now, luckily, you get to see them most of the time, but sometimes games end late. So this kid comes sliding into the uh, to the set throws some highlights on my desk, red light comes on. And I, and the first shot is, and, and we're here at Wrigley Field and a fan got hit with a foul tip. Hmm, that's a mistake. That's a bad mistake. 
and I'm live and I can't do anything about it. So we, I have to go into the other highlights. And at the end of every sports center, there's a postmortem where everybody involved in the show sits around a big table and they all discuss what went well, what went badly and what can we do better in the future? So I said, Rich to the PA, I said, I, I have to explain to you that you made a mistake here. You, there's no way a guy in the front row in a baseball game can get hit with a foul tip. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, a foul tip is different than a foul ball. A foul ball is a ball that goes from play to dead ball territory. Everybody stops and goes back to where they were. It's a strike on the batter. But a foul tip is when the umpire does that. And it went from the bat to the catcher's glove. It's a strike. Okay. But it's also a live ball. So if I'm stealing second base, I can steal second base. I'm, I put myself in jeopardy, but it's a live ball. Two very different things. And there's silence at the table, all of these sports guys. And the producer goes, well, does it really make that much of a difference? I said, yes, yes it does. It does. And Rich, this 21-year-old, stands up and goes, you're just nothing but a picky bitch. And I said, no, I'm an umpire. I said, and I know the difference between a foul ball and a foul tip. It's, it's oh, a fundamental, he did, fundamental baseball rule. And not one person in that room defended me. None. Wow. And the next day, my boss called me in and he said, I had to apologize because I hurt Rich's feelings. What I'm year like, is this? I'm why just curious. You hire me. I know the difference. I, I was an umpire. I mean, I understand. Wouldn't you think at ESPN they'd care? Right. Yeah. I mean, do you do you think that would? So, what year ESPN was that? I was there ninety to ninety two. Okay, so this wasn't like. It was when they were ten years old. So it was like they just had the tenth anniversary. Right. So they they had been around a minute. Uh, Yeah, but they had hardly any women. And, and women came and went real fast. So Sage Steele, who's, who's Sage Steele? Did you know that one person? No. He says Sage Steele is a prime example of being done wrong by ESPN. I have to look all, that. All one I up. know is that um, I was already, you know, probably too old for them. But at the same time, if you're going to hire me, it, it, respect the fact that I have a clue. Yeah. Okay? Because who reads rule books? Who goes out and calls games? Coaches, players, fans, they don't read rule books. I did. Okay. I, so I, I had to be tested every year, national tests that I had to pass every year to umpire uh, baseball and football. And I took them every year and they still didn't care. And I ended up being the bad guy. But see, that same exact scenario today with the trolls of the internet. So you were there pre internet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like there was like, no the internet. closest we had to internet was like, prodigy and aol and, and stuff like that but you're talking today that same exact scenario you're calling a, a foul tip when it was a foul ball it's you're a big somebody the entire internet would have been like who hired this dumbass she doesn't exactly. know exactly that you was my point i they said you alive they said, who cares? And I said, I care because there are some people out there that know I'm an umpire and that mm -hmm. that's a fundamental thing I should know. But here's the thing. It was before the internet. And, and what people don't understand is, you know, you got to get SportsCenter out. You got to get all the stuff out really quickly. So this was prior to the internet. And so we didn't, couldn't just Google things. 
So right. we had this guy named Howie who used to wander around the newsroom. And for a long time, I didn't know what he did. He wasn't a producer, an anchor reporter. I didn't know who he was. He was the, he was the, the fact guy. So you could ask him, like, somebody's batting average in 1973 or the last time the Jets won by three points in the snow in December. He would tell you those things. So I never dealt so with that. autistic kids. Pretty much. Um, but he, he knew everything. Now, I'm sure he had a room full of books, and he would figure out how to do things. But anyway, one day, one day I was in a hurry. I said, oh, Howie, and I asked him for a piece of information. And he gave it to me and walked away. I said, thank you very much. And I went on the air. Next morning, my boss calls me and he goes, why did you go on the air with that information? I said, oh, Howie told me that information. I turn around, Howie's leaning on the door jam. He goes, I never told her anything. Oh, so he set you up for failure. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. Wow. So, you know, you can see it's, it, it, I don't think they do. Maybe they do that now. I don't know. But, you know, there were so few women and, and we were so, you know, it was an entire room mostly full of men. Right. And I always got along with men. I love men, you know, but I, I've been in situations with newsrooms, with 400 football officials or umpires who all didn't think I belonged either. Um, and honestly, I'd like to tell you that got better, but it hasn't. You know, I became a referee so that I wouldn't keep getting thrown off other crews. I got thrown off crews because the guys would go, we're never going to get the state championship with you on our crew because you're a woman. And they were right. They were right. So and it's not any better. My commissioner once came to me, he said, you know, it's really too bad you don't officiate women's sports. You might get somewhere. I'm like, I like baseball and football. Those are my sports. So it, it whatever field I was in, it was the same crap. And I'm like, I, I'm just too stubborn to quit. Well, well, you know, what's so amazing about this is, you know, but you, you did those things and you tell me if I'm, if I'm seeing this wrong, you did those things, you broke those ceilings, but you did it like a lady. If that makes sense. Oh, you're sweet. Does that make, <laughs> does that make sense? Like, like at no point am I, am I hearing you say like, and that happened to me. And I went in there and I set his desk on fire. No, I scratched his car. Like, like you were like, oh, all right, let me show your ass and I'll do it again. And I'll do it better than the last time I did it. Now, I, I'm not. Old, um, what was the old Ginger Rogers saying? Fred Astaire, Fred Astaire did it, did it, did it great. But I did it backwards and in high heels. Exactly. <laughs> like, I remember I, that. Getting it wrong, but it, it's something along those lines. Here's and the problem. Like. If, if I had confronted them, it would have been female whining right you know and and when I, i'm not going to tell you that i didn't come home from officiating and from tv pissed off pouring myself a big two shots or something um but i never let them see me cry i cried at home you know but yeah it was horrible sometimes I, but i i i suppose the good times outweighed the bad you know, I was very lucky at most of my other TV stations. I had wonderful people working with me, ones that helped me learn the business because I'd spent all my time working in a bar and officiating games. I didn't know how to be on TV. So I was very fortunate with most people. But ESPN stands out as kind of crappy people deal. You know, they just weren't very nice or welcoming or they made it very clear I didn't belong.
And like, what am I going to do about it? You know, what I mean, what, what was it? Uh, they they treat you like it was a Title Nine kind of a hire. Like, yeah, we. Oh, gotta- of course, of course. And I think they had to do that legally because you have an entire newsroom full of only men. There was one woman producer too. I think they had. But anyway, but I'm sure they have a lot more today. I would like to tell you that I think things have gotten better for women in sports broadcasting, but I don't think it has because what job do they give women in sports casting? The most useless job of all, sideline reporting. Who, you know, they invented that so they could throw women out there because honestly, what do they ask them? They go, oh, uh, they'll go, hey, Bev, what do you think? Oh, well, I think he tore his ACL, but we don't know yet. They no. might as well put nurses on the sidelines. That's all they ask them is about injuries. Just that. dress up some nurses, stick them on the sidelines. You don't need sport. I mean, it gives them, it makes them feel good like they've hired women to do sports. I want to see women in the booth. You know, let's do play by play. Let's do color. It's not brain surgery. Well, they have, what's her name that, that did the Yankee games for a long time? Um, I just always remember when Roger Clemens was in the booth for the Yankees and I'm not a Yankees fan. May they, may their team never win another game. I'm with you. Yeah. May the, may the Orioles finally, you know, I'm an O's fan. Yeah. Uh, but whatever her name is, I can't think of it, but she was, I always remember her being like Roger Clemens is in the booth. Oh my God. You know, I don't know. I I know there are some women that have been some, some, opportunities but not many i mean how what 2015 they had andrea kramer and i can't think of who else it was like and the nfl is going oh these women they're gonna call a game on monday night i went oh great well guess what you turn on the tv and it's aikman and uh who's his buddy Uh, oh god uh he's not with uh because his father was a great sports cast whoever but they were joe buck Um, And so when you turned it on, it was them. If you wanted to see the women do the game, you had to go to some obscure station and they were not even in the stadium. They were 800 miles or however far away. And the really sick thing to me is that today, if you go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, they have a women in football section. Do they really? They do. And they actually have the headphones that both of those women wore in that one game. Neither one of them ever got another opportunity. And just because I'm going to pick on the Pro Football Hall of Fame right now, they also have um, the hat and whistle that belonged to Shannon Easton, who was the first woman to officiate an NFL game, but it was in a strike year. The officials were on strike, so she was called in and she did. They never hired her. Her hat and whistle are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, as is Jen Welker Walker. I can't remember her last name, but she was supposedly a coach with the Arizona Cardinals. I know um, who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? She was an intern over the summer and they never hired her. And guess what's in the Hall of Fame? Her jacket that says Cardinals and her whatever. I'm like, are you kidding? There's nothing real in any of that. It's all right. pretend. It's, it's like, Look, we had somebody. And we think they got some women. Yay. Yay us. And you know why they're doing that? It's the same reason you don't see too many cheerleaders on NFL broadcasts anymore. And if you do, they're usually wearing clothes, like more clothes than they used to. Right. Um, They don't look like the old school Dallas Cowboys. No, no. And they're doing that because someone brilliantly at the NFL realized that most of their paraphernalia that they sell is being purchased by women. For their husbands, their boyfriends, their kids, 
So the women are the purse strings when it comes to the multi-billion dollar business of selling paraphernalia. So now they're trying to make nice, which is also why they're suddenly sponsoring um, flag football. Now, part of that is that people aren't letting their kids play contact. They're afraid. I get that. But now they're pushing this and they show girls playing flag football because they, they're going to run out of viewers and players after a while because so many kids aren't playing anymore. But anyway, that's a different story. Well, the game, so, yeah. the game is completely different. I mean, I can still remember being a little guy, real little guy, and Earl Campbell, you know, playing for the uh, Houston Oilers and Earl Campbell just physically running over other humans. And then today you get a flag defenseless defenseless receiver but but don bb got bounced on his head and was like in olden days or let's say right up until the middle of the 70s um they played on dirt they played on grass and it wasn't until they started putting in astroturf which is just basically you know a little plastic on top of concrete that guys started getting horrible concussions and horrible yes. injuries and so now we're dealing with als and and you know brain damage and dementia it's horrible it's, it's horrible not- it was it was partially because of the turf, turf they were playing on um i think there were less terrible injuries, you know, up until the seventies than there have been in the last 30 years. But the problem is, is that parents aren't allowing their kids to play. Now Mm -hmm. I have four kids today. I don't think I'd let them play when they were little. I don't think kids should play tackle football till ninth grade. Um, I don't, and I would never let a kid pitch. I would never let a kid pitch. No, ninth grade, ninth grade, because you are going to blow out their arms. They're well, little. They should play every position there. And don't get me on the parents who, who think all oh, their nine-year-olds going to be a professional baseball player. The only thing I'll tell you about the pitching. So, so I, I have kids played, have a daughter who high school basketball champ, state champion, played college basketball, cousin who played in the NFL, son who played football. I agree with you after his fifth concussion and this yeah, was yeah. between between age nine and his junior year in high school, I cut him out. I was like, brother, I don't want you. I don't want you to have to sip out of a, out of a cup and drool on yourself for the rest of your no, life. And I, I can cure. I, I have a way to fix that. Take off their helmets. No helmets. Are you going to play, play without? Yeah. You play a little different. I, I without they play. No, they use their heads as as battering rams, and they were taught to do that until like 10, 15 years ago. Right. And and if you take off their helmets, there will be a lot fewer spine injuries, a lot fewer brain injuries. Look at rugby players. Right. They don't they have don't the same. They anything, yeah. and you don't see them very rarely do they have any catastrophic injuries. Yeah, I, I would agree but with you there. I our kids are overly protected. But Let's, I would say with the pitching, though, it, uh, it's not it's not so much – if a kid's throwing fastballs, throwing, you know, the norm, it's when you're trying to take a kid whose body is still developing and you want them to throw a sinker and a curve bar ball, and these, these exotic pitches, n- no kid by 11th grade needs Tommy John surgery. Oh, that- and now we have parents who have their kids have it preemptively. 
in case they might get injured because they don't want to ruin their chance at a college scholarship. I'm like, that's child abuse. You should go to prison for yeah, making yeah. your kid have surgery before they need it. Yeah. So no, I, I really think pitching is, is, and I'm not saying a kid shouldn't pitch once, you know, a week or once. No, or I, I get you. A rotation. They should play every position. It shouldn't freaking matter who wins a game. I'm totally against little league world series. Uh, I, I am really? sorry. These kids are too young to be put under that kind of pressure. And the skills involved in baseball, in my opinion, are the most difficult to, to become good at. Yes. Uh, look, you play football. I hand a kid a football. I say, run that way. Okay. You guys try to catch him. Not, not big skills there. Yeah. No, not uh, a lot going on there. No, unless you're an offensive lineman, that's real skill. But um, bottom line is in baseball, you got to throw a ball, catch a ball, pitch a ball, field. I mean, hit a ball. It's very, very difficult. And and I I really believe that we shouldn't be pressuring kids. And once you're in high school, you want to start doing that. Okay, but still, as a parent, I'm going to monitor what they're allowing the kids to do. I really am. All right. And I'm loving this conversation. I just want you to know that now because I love your, your outlook on it. And, and George is actually looking to start a business baseball related. He has a kid who plays baseball and he says, they always want to work then too far ahead of their bodily. Exactly. Development. I agree with that. But now here's my, this is going to be my argument. And I, uh, not long ago. Well, it's been a while since we've had Dr. Avram on Dr. Avram. Uh, he is a male. When I say male psychologist, he focuses on men and men's issues and, and things that men deal with. And one of the things he talks about is we don't give young boys enough time to do young boy things anymore. You are we absolutely right. We don't push them to develop those structures of hierarchy and how to um, figure out who, you know, and he even talks about it. He goes, Boys play games that teach leadership and teach structure. So do girls. Girl, he, but he has a, now this guy, look, he's board certified. So I got to go with what he says. Okay. He says, girls play games that teach development of nurturing and caring. Okay. And we don't, but here's what I'm saying for a second though. When you're talking about like young ones playing sports and I'm going to get your thoughts on this. I think everybody should play sports because I think everybody should learn those leadership and development skills. Everybody should learn how to be, this is one of my favorite words, how to be coachable. If you're not coachable, you will fail at life. I'm sorry, yes. folks. If That's you can't be coachable, you will fail at life. And sports what people don't understand, especially people say, we don't need sports in school. I'm like, yes, we do. Because sports teach all the skills that are necessary to make you successful in the business world. They teach you how to be on time. They right. teach you how to, how to follow a coach. They teach you how to become a leader or a follower. They teach you how to work towards a common goal. And, and I will say this, I believe the same thing about theater and uh, debate and yes. all of these things where you work together as a team marching band. Okay. All of those things make you work with other people. And, and when you go into the business world, you now have that, those, some of those skills. I absolutely believe that. And, and that's why to me, extracurricular, extracurricular activities, 
sports, of course, but also all of the other ones as well. They teach you this and they also teach social skills, which no kids know how to do anymore. When you yeah. and I were young, we would go out after school, we'd put on our, our play clothes and we'd go out and the neighborhood kids would get together and we'd play games. We didn't have an adult telling us what to do or how to act, or if someone got upset, oh, you don't, you can't hurt their feelings. You had to learn to monitor and adjust as a child to uh, so like the structure you're talking about. Okay, we're going to play this game and and we're going to pick sides and maybe you didn't get picked first. We'll get over it. Okay. We had to learn those things. Today, a lot of kids sit on their couches and look at their cell phones and they are they have no social skills. None. I taught for 20 years in a Title I school and it, that's where most kids live in poverty. And uh, the, the cell phones and the lack of engagement for uh, extracurricular activities broke my heart. I kept saying, guys, we have all these opportunities. Go out, participate. And they wouldn't. They'd rather look at their video games. It made me crazy. I, I agree with everything you're you're saying. 110%. And Cody says she doesn't watch sports, doesn't have kids. You have dogs. You have a dog. And, uh, but she's still listening. Great content. And, and, and I'm – so I'm the guy who says – Suck at sports. I don't care if you suck at it, but go learn the life skills of it. Like, so I was, so FYI, I graduated from high school. I weighed 127 pounds at five, seven and a half. And you still weigh that, right? Uh, I would, God, I wish <laughs> I, but I still went to, I still went to boot camp and joined the Marine Corps and, and everything and thank you for your service. But, but I say that only because I also, in ninth grade ran cross country because that was the, I didn't oh, know the, the sport. I, I, no one cares about, but they were, Oh my God, they're such but, athletes. But you know what? I did, these things, I did these things because I was so not a sports kid growing up. And I love talking about sports. When guys would tell me in 10th grade, I played football. When guys would tell me I've been playing football since I was seven, I've been playing football since I was eight. And I would be like, no, you didn't stop lying. Why are you lying about this? And they're like, what the hell are you talking? I'm like, nobody plays football at that. I did not know, honestly, as a kid, that other kids did these things. And it wasn't because I had two working parents that went off. They, you know, there wasn't somebody at the house that was going to be like, hey, we're home at 3.30. Let's take Johnny oh, to football. I didn't have that either. <laughs> I, you know, when I played sports, I was just telling my 14-year-old my this. My school was 30 minutes away from where I lived. I took the regular bus and then I took a city bus and to get home. And my mother drove me to school and to go play sports. I had to stay. I had to choose to stay after school and then walk the mile and a half to where the bus stop was to get the bus to go home because nobody was picking me up. So sports to me were more about. Well, I want to be involved. I, all the other kids are doing this. I need to learn this. But I really, truly, I, God, I've just had, and I'm so happy you brought this up. I just had this conversation with this kid. I said, your entire generation has told, been told it's not cool to belong. It's not cool to be part of. It's not cool to join clubs. It's not cool to join organizations. And the problem is, kid, by not joining clubs, by not joining organizations, you have no support system outside of your family no other people of like-minded folks i don't give a shit i'm a mason i've been a mason for a, since 2001 
guess what? It's like-minded people joining in an organization and we can all communicate with each other. My kids don't understand that. And we're getting close to the end on it and we could talk for hours. I can already see it. Well, we'll have to do it again then. We'll have to do it. Again. But tell me, Ann, like what's your feeling? Like you, you became part of a lot of things. You, you were a person who said, well, I don't do that, but let me go be part of it. Do you think that's a generational thing for you? Or do you think that was your mindset? Um, to be honest, I was an obese child and, um, my family struggled with that. They were all thin and, you know, so I, and I was bullied quite a bit. So I, I wanted to be out of my house a lot. So eventually I joined all kinds of clubs and I was in theater, which I really loved. I, I, I'm in, I do improv now, which is kind of fun, but, um, I, I wanted to be involved in things cause I didn't want to go home. And so to me, my parents were like, well, you got to have a, where are you going? Cause you know, you couldn't just leave. So I'd say, I got play practice. I got band. I got voice lessons. I got whatever. So I, I wanted to be out of my house. I didn't want to be there at all. So for me, it was an escape route. And, um, and I was an ice skater and, you know, I did a lot of different things, but I like a lot of different things. And I think that's, what's wrong with kids. They, they're not curious enough. I, I am curious about everything. Even today, I mean, oh, Google, has, I love it because now you can answer all your questions instantly. And I, I just, I worry that people aren't interested in what's going on around them, that they don't want to participate in things. Whereas I went from one thing to the next. Quite honestly, when I retired from teaching, uh, which I did in 2020, and I retired from football that same year. Um, it was really hard because I've spent my life running from one thing to the next. And now it's very different. Now, the lovely part is I do not have to have an alarm clock anymore. I want to <laughs> kill my alarm clock with a baseball bat. But um, it's very odd to suddenly have all the time in the world. Now, I'm an author, so I do have that. I was about to say that. Now, you, you say that, and we and I want to get into this real quick. So you you have nine books you've written. You've published six of those. Five, five. And one coming out in June. Oh, you got, you got one cup, the sixth one coming out. And, and this will surprise you. I don't write about sports at all. Well, I was going to ask you of, of all these experiences and these life things that you've done and things you've been involved in, how much are those feeding into these books and, and things you've done? Or do you go completely left turn on it and do your own thing? Well, I, I told you when I could no longer be in TV, I felt real sorry for myself for a while. And uh, couldn't get a job. Nobody would hire me. They wouldn't hire me to bartend. I went into the sports bar and I went, oh, look, they got to hire me to be a, look, I went in. I said, look, I can entertain your, your people at your bar, whether they're sober or not. We can talk sports all night. And the guy actually looked at me and looked me up and down, checking me out. And I realized that he, he said, I don't think so. And I realized he wanted a 20 something in a, in a tight, in a push up and a, and a short skirt. And I'm like, crap. So anyway, I ended up going back to college at 42 and became a teacher. And I ended up in a title one school, the most inner city school in Phoenix. And this does believe it or not end up why I write, was writing as I had students who dealt with the most horrendous things, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, gangs, teen pregnancy, rape, um, cult, religious cults. It was insane. And, wow. and I, it broke my heart and made me realize what a spoiled brat I was and how fortunate I had been. And, um, I started writing books about things like I have a book about a serial rapist. I have a book about a, a 16 year old girl in a religious cult. 
Um, I also write about uh, historical fiction, archaeological looting, that kind of thing. Nice. Um, but a lot of it was based on the fact that I dealt with young people who were going through these horrors all the time. And i that's how I'm a mom, by the way. I couldn't have any children of my own. And um, when I was 55, one of my I used to put my phone number on the board at the end of the school year. And even though they said, don't ever do that, don't give them your number. And I said, look, if you get in trouble, you don't know what to do, call me and I'll try to help. And one summer, this 14-year-old kid called me. He wouldn't tell me what was wrong. Long story short, he ended up in foster care. And he called me one day and said, Miss Montgomery, I'm hungry. I said, what do you mean you're hungry? He said, well, they lock up the food in the morning. He was in a group home. And then he went to a different high school and they didn't have paperwork, so they wouldn't feed him lunch. And I was appalled and I'm marching up and down the hallway, squaring up a storm. And another teacher said, what's the matter? And I said, this kid, he called me, he's in foster care, he's hungry. And she said, well, if it bothers you so much, why don't you call the foster care people and tell them he can live with you? I said, don't be ridiculous. I've never had any children. I called foster care. He became my first son. I've had four children, all of my former students. They're all in their 20s. And now I'm a grandma. I probably will. So, yeah. And you're a badass. That's <laughs> and George wants to know, he says, do you wish you would have focused more on a smaller group of activities or relish in the vast reach of many activities you participated in? Great question, George. Oh, no, I wouldn't. I, you know, the only thing I would change is I would be nicer. Because <laughs> when I first became a teacher. I was teaching journalism and broadcasting and I went in and I took these kids and I was like a monster. I'm like, you're late. You didn't do this right. You're going to die in the real world. You're not going to keep a job in journalism. And, and one day all the kids in my class got up and left. They walked out. All the kids. And I'm standing in front of an empty classroom crying. I'm crying. Right. And this old teacher came in and she goes, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Another teacher took me aside and she goes, have you ever considered being nicer? I went, nice? There's no nice in a newsroom. There's no nice on a football field. What do you mean nicer? Well, she was right. And so I am nicer now. That, took me, that, I had to work at that every day to be nicer. But well, I, my dad did the same thing to me. I was yeah. I was an absolute asshole to all my Marines. And he all of a sudden one day goes, do you ever think about like, just being nice for a moment? back a little, right? And he's uh, And I'm like, Dad, they're Marines. They need to be. And he goes, yeah, there's a time and a place. And my dad never served a day in his life. And, and it worked for me. But, but so, you understand then. I, I do mean, understand exactly what you're saying. I kept saying, but if I don't, if, I, if I'm not hard on them, they won't succeed. And, right. and I'll, there'll be failures and I'll feel bad. And they're like, no, just they're kids. And I went, oh. So, yeah. So in any case, I do have four children and I'm very proud of all of them. And That's um, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And Cody says, uh, that's the magic key to life. Experience the hard and still be able to be softened. I, yes. I agree with you, Thank Cody. You, so, Cody, you're right. It, it, it is hard to change. Look, Anne's books, and, and I know we've, and I normally say this about 10 times during a show, but you are absolutely just fascinating and riveting to talk to. Thank you. And and you, you can find Anne's book. Like I said, there's like 758 of them, 600. No, there's not. But I, but I am very proud that I have my first World War II historical fiction coming out in June, uh, June 6th, honor of the 80th anniversary of D-Day. And it's a, a, um, 
inspired by a true story of a soldier who was in the graves registration service. Those are the guys that pick up the pieces. Yes. And build the cemeteries. And have you ever seen a movie about them? Does anybody write about them? No. As soon as there's a big battle, everybody moves forward. And nobody thinks about those guys. The so closest this movie would have been, um, oh God, what the heck's his name? Uh, Kevin Bacon did a movie years ago. Uh, about not the one about where he 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 goes uh, finding chance or yes, uh, taking chances. Yeah. He's taking the chance. one who goes and tells them their their child their their son. Right. That's about that. the closest we've had. Yeah, but these are these are the guys that work in, in grave graves registration, and and it's it's called Your Forgotten Sons, and I'm very proud that that's coming out. That's awesome, and, and George, thank you, brother, and, and I do. Mentors still need to be be co coachable, absolutely. Like, like I think that's one of the things we've lost. You know, people talk about these kids all the time, and they're all stupid, they're all shitheads. My generation, this generation. And my wife and I had this conversation recently and you kind of hit on it and where one of my kids had done something and I grounded him. And I took his phone away from him and she goes, well, when he got to school, I gave his phone back to him. I said, why? I said, I grounded him. He wasn't supposed to have his phone. Well, what if something happens at school? I said, well, if something happens at school, you've taken away his ability to critically think. You've taken away his ability to use his mind to figure out how to get out of a situation. All he has to do now is pick up his phone and call somebody and they'll figure it out for him. That's like every, you mentioned about Google and we can get all that's all great. But you know what? We know every, you want to talk about the, the these kids. It's they're nothing wrong with them. They're products of what they've been allowed to do. But they we have lost the ability to critically think without just going like if I said to you today. Hey, Ann, sky's purple. You'll be like, no, it's not. I'd be like, want me to Google it and I can find somebody that says it's purple. And, yeah. then, I, and then I would hand it to you and you go, see, this guy that I don't know anything about. Right. Sources, sources, sources. I taught this. How to, how to actually look something up and prove it's true. And, and ironically, towards the end of my teaching career, they got rid of all of those journalism communications classes for STEM, science, technology science, technology, engineering, and math. I'm like, well, don't engineers have to talk to people and communicate? Don't they have to? So that, that yeah, frustrates the hell out of me that they they believe the first thing that comes up on the internet. Right. Um, it, it is frustrating. I worry about kids. I, but then I'm like, well, maybe our parents worried about us too. They thought we were all nuts. But I, I, I just did. wish kids would get involved. That's the most important thing. Thank you. Kids I need agree. to get involved. Find out what they're good at. Because, you know, when we say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, uh, the thing is, they need to think about what they're what they like to do, what they're good at and what will someone pay you to do? Those are the three questions. Answer that and you'll find a career that will that you'll enjoy. If you don't enjoy your work, 85 percent of the time, no one does 100 percent of the time. But 85 percent, your life's going to suck because you spend more time working than you spend doing anything else. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to teach kids how to pick a career and where do they want to be in 10 years. And, and uh, I worry about them all. I think I had about 2000 students over the years. I worry about them still. Well, I, I messed my kids up the other day when I said, you know what? You, JFK would roll over in his grave if he realized what you kids were doing today. And my son's like, what? I'm like, go, go look up some of his speeches and look at the things that that guy created. And he's yeah, like, it's not what we can do for you. <laughs> but now we have an entire like I, I've read some amazing books recently. 
uh, Grunk of Giants. You got to read that one. And that book is from 1982, written by a guy who was born in 1887. And he nails what we're dealing with today. And here, here's my girl, Cody, again. You got me at joy. Following my joy is is my jam and showing others how to do it. She does it like, I'm going to mess it up. It's trans and dance. I can't even say it right. She does like this whole like, it's got like pattern and everything. She messes with me because I can't pronounce it right. But, but I agree with it. And you are, if I had an award to give for badass, (laughs) you are absolutely. And the fact that like the, these four kids that you raise, Look, see, I told you she was going to pick on me about it. Oh, my God, you butcher it. Um, But that you imparted that, that you cared enough to to provide that, that you went out and and really you you did it. You you lived it and then you provided it to others and you did it. That is. Not enough people do that, you know. We, we do have a, a shortage of foster parents. I will say that we have about 14,000 kids in foster care here in Arizona alone. And they're just, and, and you know, my kids were all, there were three teenage boys. Who wants teenage boys? Nobody. They want perfect little babies, right? So um, yeah, nobody wants teenagers. And, but you know, I looked at, they were in my classes every day. I, 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 how could I say no? I just can't even imagine saying no. But not, having not, I had to go to foster mom school though. That was fun. I went for 10 weeks and learned how to be a foster. I mean, especially, you know, teenage boys, most, most most single, single women taking in teenage boys would be like, I lock everything. Everything's got a padlock on it, especially in today's society, the way society talks about things. Uh, I I will say that my, my principal was not happy when I took home my oldest son, who was 14. He just turned 15. And he said, well, this doesn't look good for the school. I said, what are you talking about? I'm giving a kid who doesn't have a home a home. And he said, yeah, but people will talk like what? Fuck. So Fuck I ended up taking my son out of that school and putting him in a different school because so there wouldn't be any big friggin' people misunderstanding. I'm like, look, I'm a legal fo- I'm, I, I got my foster mom license. He's living with me. How, how can you turn that into something bad? But they did, you know. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? Look, yeah. folks, if you're looking to find out what Ann's going on, I, and if you're looking for a side gig, you could be my co-host. Like you were, I would you like were, to do that. You were amazing. Like you are really a badass, and it's such a joy to talk to. Such a breath of fresh air, um, folks. Check out AnnMontgomeryWriter.com. You can find all her books. We we didn't even scratch the surface of everything she's done, everything she's been part of. She already, you know, before the show, I found out she's a scuba diver. We joked around about her being a stoner. Uh, that's only because she collects rock. rock collector, but she collects rocks. So I figured that's, that's a stoner in my book. Mm-hmm. Not like, you know, I think Cody, we Ooh. call it a rocker here. I'm a rocker. rocker. Okay. Nobody gets that either. They go, Oh, you play in a band. I'm like, well, no. Uh, there's, there, what's the big gem in Arizona? Like you guys have like a particular one that that's found there in Arizona. Well, okay. We have all the beautiful blue and green copper minerals. Cause that, pe- that pe- the only reason anybody stopped in Arizona before air conditioning was copper, silver, and gold. That was the only reason. And they all grow right together in the earth. And so all, whenever you see a blue or a green mineral, um, they gr- occur around copper. And we have a bazillion copper mines here. Yet our state mineral is something called wolfenite, which is a beautiful orangey red kind of crystal thing. So yeah, it, it, 
I have like 400 minerals just in my living room. And if you give me too much to drink, I will tell you where they all came from, whether you want to know or not. Those so my fun. friends you know, know not to go near the rock box if I'm drinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, look, folks, if you're enjoying Anne and you found Anne, Anne through, uh, or you found us through Anne or us through, or Anne through us, God, I'm saying that backwards. If you found Anne through us or us, you found Anne, make sure you give us, uh, what's this? Break out the rock box anytime. I'm going uh, rocking this Sunday. I'm so excited. I got it. George, I got, yep. I'm going. George said, thank you, Miss, Miss Montgomery. I really enjoyed perspective. Love the insight. I'm sure this could go on for hours, keeping us engaged. Thank George, you, George. I'm but, uh, so and he's in New Jersey. He's in New Jersey. Uh, my old home state. He's yeah. in your old hood. He's in, he's in your Jersey hood. Uh, and look, Cody already sent you a message. So you, so you can be friends. And okay. Cody's Cody. But, you know, as I say all the time, folks, if you're finding us through each other, the best way to help us all out is like, follow, and share. If you're listening to this and you're finding us, take a moment and share this, this broadcast. Everybody who's engaged, everybody who's listening, everybody who's writing, take a moment and share this broadcast. <clears throat> Going on to Apple and Spotify or wherever you listen to your audio, audio podcast at, giving that five-star rating, making some comment. That's how Ann's story gets out. That's how more people find Ann. That's how more people find the Above the Bar podcast. You doing that makes a difference for all of us, means so so much to us, and I greatly appreciate it every time. So, so please take a moment and do those things. And you can always find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, all those different places. Next week, we have singer-songwriter, and he spells his name right, Ann. There's only one way to spell Sean, and it's Shawan, not seen. Yeah, we have singer songwriter Sean Brown, who has a new single out called Road of Bones, released it back in June and has elevated a unique folk songwriting sound by leaning forward into a pop sensibility. I love reading these things. I I don't know who writes this stuff, but I love reading them. Yeah, people. I, I love reading them, though. Creating one of the catchiest songs to date, Road of Bone, conjures the 90s rock folk country style while not while which is not only timeless. So I love those things. Mm-hmm. I just love whoever writes their stuff. And I love singer songwriters are always fun. Cause they're like, Woo! like, mm-hmm. I love those guys, but now, and this is like episode 208, 209 and don't log off on me after we're done. We just got to talk for a couple minutes after the show. So this is like 208 or 209 or something like that. And as we do in every episode and you've listened to them all. So I know you've like binged everything. You sucked it all in. So you're ready for this. The guest always gets the final word. So what's the final word, Anne? Um, the final word is thank people who tell you no. Because if people hadn't told me no all the time, I wouldn't have tried so hard. So I think no is a gift. Alrighty, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been a Second Front Podcast presentation found on Apple, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be found. 